Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. A shutout in Houston. The T.Y. Hilton ownership got some help, I would say, from some of his friends in continuing to dominate the Texans, especially down there. I'm Kevin Bowen. We're back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Eddie Garrison sliding into the producing chair today. You've heard Eddie on our airwaves and certainly on this podcast before. Eddie, I think Chris Presley was so enamored with Tennessee and Purdue as a, as a bowl matchup, he just couldn't handle it. That and Purdue possibly being the number one team in the country in college basketball. Very good point. Yes, he couldn't, uh, couldn't handle all that, but luckily uh, you are here to help us and Last time you told me this before the podcast started, you were recapping the Colts-Titans game with us, overtime loss. Uh, fortunately, a little bit of a, uh, I would say, less stressful and better end result from a divisional matchup with this one. So a lot to unpack. Obviously, what I liked, what I didn't like. We'll get into Twitter questions. We will continue to have a podcast during the bye week. Um, so I know a lot of people have asked some bigger picture stuff. I've kind of compiled those into a separate document. That we'll get into uh, during the bye week. So we'll still have a podcast next week leading into, <laughs> man, um, just a mega, mega matchup against the old foes from Foxborough. And obviously a lot of eyes on that tonight. Um, let's just start here, Eddie, overall. The Texans stink. They're awful. I think they're the worst team in the NFL. You made them stink even worse. You made them look like... I literally sat there in the fourth quarter and think this is why the NFL should have relegation. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that that was my thought. I was like, they are so – I tweet out during the game, I'm like, I fell asleep to Iowa's offense Saturday night, and I almost fell asleep to the Texans' offense yesterday. Um, you know, I go on Houston radio, typically they're one of our affiliate stations down there. Um, I, I don't know if affiliate's the right word, but a fellow ESPN uh, station down there. Um, I go on the, their station each each time the Colts and Texans play, and they literally said to me last week, they're like, yeah, basically the only way the Texans have a chance is if the entire Colts roster gets food poisoning. Shit, man, that could have happened, and I still think the Colts would have won. Yeah, with how bad they looked on both sides of the football. Uh, but still, I, I do want to acknowledge a couple things just off the bat. Um, I thought you gave him no hope. You know, when you play games against these sorts of teams, they're looking for hope. I understand the Texans, they want the foot, or, you know, they, they got the football early. If they get a field goal, if they move the ball, they've done something of note. And Kenny Moore established that right away. We'll talk more about Kenny here in just a little bit. Also, I know a lot of people just don't even want to talk about this game. We're going to talk about it. And you guys know full well on this podcast what we love to do. You talk about the game itself. We also acknowledge the stuff that can continue moving forward, is worrisome moving forward, could be a positive moving forward. You can isolate those two things. And, like, I've got people saying, who cares the Colts shut out the Houston Texans? Do I think that the shutout result makes me think the Colts are going 4-0 these final four games? They're going to be, <laughs> you know, a, a deep January run. No. But how can you not sit here and and watch that game yesterday and see that the Texans did not cross the Colts' 40-yard line and not walk away impressed. Like, it's not just a shutout. How do you not cross an opponent's 40-yard line? And I don't think they even crossed midfield until the final minute of the game. Am I right? It was the second half. I think they got past midfield. I, I thought they did. I heard Reich say that after the game, but I thought Reich misspoke after the game. Um yeah, so they got to the uh, they got to the Colts 44 with a minute to go in the third quarter. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, Brandon Cooks had an end around. That was kind of a big play uh that got the 13 fans inside of NRG Stadium to their feet there. I thought it was a COVID <laughs> crowd, man. I was like, "Wait, what? Is this COVID again?" Like is there only 5,000 people allowed in the stadium? That's one of those games where you buy a nosebleed seat and you're like, all right, I'm going to move down because nobody's here. Oh, my gosh. They're, like, welcoming you to the lower bowl. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just, like, that's a dominant performance. I get the Texans are awful, but that is a dominant defensive performance. 
And major hat tip to Matt Eberflus in that unit, who I do think since the Jets game, we've seen some different things utilized on that side of the ball. Um, Field position, 21-yard advantage in average drive start. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about Matt. The the field's only, what, 100 yards long? Mm -hmm. And you're getting two extra first downs every single drive. That's nuts. Huge. Rigoberto Sanchez, outstanding and helping you there. You know, when we say the kind of give no hope, and I guess we'll get into that a little bit more, what I liked, I, I, I did want to mention T.Y. Hilton, you know, spoke to the team Saturday um, and basically was like, you know, mediocre, average teams, even good teams, they oftentimes play to their competition. Let's show that we're not just that. Let's show that we're a little bit more. I think there's better barometers for that, but I get T.Y.'s message. And like Jacksonville... Well, let's go to the Jets. The Jets, you let hang around. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville, you really let hang around. There was no hanging whatsoever between the Colts and the Texans. I mean, that was just... Even when it was 7 nothing, man, I'm like, there's no way the Colts lose this game. I mean, it feels like no matter who's the head coach or what system it is, it always seems like Jacksonville is that one team in the conference, or in the division, I should say, right? that they just let hang around no matter what the gap is like if Jacksonville's one of the worst teams in the NFL if the Colts are one of the best teams in the NFL seems like Jacksonville's that one team and it seems like Houston is the team that they always beat yes. up on every single year right and they did it in a way that everyone expected and I was watching that game yesterday and I was like man this is the most boring 21 to 0 game I have ever watched dude boredom boredom um <laughs> I was trying to go back and pick an underrated play of the game. I always like to do this kind of a play that I thought you know was big that won't show up on a Sports Center highlight. I, they won't be showing any highlights on Sports Center for this game. Sorry they didn't even show game. any uh, on uh, Football Night in America last night. I was watching it and they they didn't show the Colts game <laughs> one time. I they was just like, bypassed oh that. Yeah, production meetings. Okay, uh, thirty-one nothing. Yeah, we don't need to worry about this game. Uh, it was seven nothing, and it got to be late in the first half, and. You know, something the Texans did well, and we will note this, is I thought they controlled the line of scrimmage defensively for, for chunks of that first half. The Colts got into a third and eight, and you had another nice scramble by Wentz to get you into fourth and one. You mm-hmm. went for it. I want to say went snuck it. Yep. And you got the first down there. Then later in the drive, you got into a third and 11. Doyle wide, wide the hell open and easy pickup there. But, like, you take those down in distance. It was a third and eight and a third and eleven. Obviously, less than fifty percent chance that you convert each of them, let alone both of them, um, or just either of them. You were kind of on fringe field goal range at that point, and you know Badgley had already missed one. So it was one of those things where it's like you don't pick this up, or you have to settle for a field goal and you miss a long field goal at that point. Mm-hmm. It's still seven nothing, and now you've given the Texans the best field goal range they. They're the best field position range they've had all day long. So those were a couple plays. Again, it's really hard in this game to pick out um, plays that truly kind of under the radar changed it. But those were two that I that I thought. The one to me that always sticks out that everyone's going to point out is that Kenny Moore interception. You know, you set the tone right out of the gate. For sure. You get that turnover. It's like, all right, the offense, the defense is pumped up. Now the offense is even more juiced up. It's like, all right, our defense has gotten us going. We're in great field position. Let's go in, deliver a touchdown first drive, and get a really bad team already out of it. And that kind of goes into it. And let's go ahead and uh, get into it. Uh, what I liked, what was my first thing I said? So no hope. No hope. So when you're playing these teams, again, double-digit, you're double-digit favorite on the road. Uh, the Texans are officially eliminated from the playoffs, by the way. Like, you know, I saw a tweet before the game when Zach Cunningham, one of their better defenders, suspended for the game. Uh, the tweet from the Texans beat writer was, the Houston Texans have proven to do two things well this year. Suspend quality players and pay players not to play. Yeah. That's, boy, Eddie, uh, that's not a ringing endorsement. No. Where Jack Easterby and company are as a franchise right now. Um, You gave them no hope, and Kenny Moore, you know, initiated the whole, like you you threw a haymaker or two at them early, and that put them on the ropes, and eventually you were able to knock them out. Um, so we'll talk about Kenny individually in just a second, but obviously his interception, his fumble. I thought the drive after the interception was great. You know, the Colts ran it all six plays on that opening drive, but I thought how they ran it. Pittman, I think, on an end around. 
Uh, like Hines quick, got one. Hines on a jet sweep or reverse or something that was a similar perimeter run. And think about it. All week long, you've been here about, you know, the Colts got away from Taylor, downhill runs, all this stuff. And Frank still runs it, but he uses some perimeter stuff in there. Even the Wildcat yeah. was, you know, a, a bit of perimeter action there as well. You saw them get back to the Hines-Taylor personnel grouping on the field together. So I think the Texans are thinking Taylor's running it right at us. Taylor's running it right out at us. And you did a little bit of um, just kind of variation off of that, which I thought was huge uh, to get that touchdown, and take that 7 nothing lead, and then obviously Kenny Moore with that second turnover. Um, now, you continued to kind of maintain field position. Sanchez was outstanding. When I say give no hope, you throw in the no turnovers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Carson Wentz, you know, a very meh day in terms of if he's your fantasy quarterback. Um, Not mine. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I think he might have been. Are you kicking my ass in fantasy this week? Uh, I haven't paid that? attention, honestly, because yeah. the postseason's here and neither one of us made it, so I stopped paying attention. Okay, well, I think you are kicking my ass, but I'm glad you're, that you're not you're not paying attention. Thank you for publicly not bringing that up. I decided to bring it up anyways. Uh, went 16 to 22, 158, and one touchdown. So again, he won't make you happy as a fantasy owner, but he hasn't turned the ball over interception wise on the road this year. And, like, that, again, can put a team like that into a, hey, we have a chance. They've given us a short field. They've done something. The defense is taking a picture at the other end in front of the camera. Like, Mm -hmm. the crowd of 28 is now all of a sudden locked in. Uh, They showed one guy uh, on the camera during the game that they just need to to put him in the Texans ring of honor. (laughs) He was legitimately just going nuts at one point during the game. I'm like... That man right there, Texans fan of the year. Um, the other sequence where you gave no hope, Eddie, end of the first half, start of the second half. Like we said earlier, it was 7 nothing. That's a one-possession mm, yeah, game. Yeah. You had It wasn't a two-minute drive to end the first half. You had a six-minute drive that turned into you know, kind of a two-minute situation. Not like super hurry-up or anything. Uh, but you got the ball with 6.59 to go at your own 46. Methodically moved it. And took up six sixteen. So basically, the rest of the first half. That was the Doolin touchdown, right before the end of the first half, and that was when you had the Wentz scramble. You had the Doyle third and eleven. So that to me was the double dip scenario. Now you're up fourteen nothing. You don't give them a chance mm-hmm. to go down the field and score. And then first drive of the third quarter, nail coffin. How about Ashton Doolin though? These past couple weeks. Offensively, he's been making a little bit of a difference. Well, first, shout out to Malone University. You texted me during the morning show today and said that you've been to Malone, where Ashton Doolin went. No longer has a football program. No. You said a beautiful campus. Yeah, it is a really beautiful campus. Like, it's one of those campuses where, like, it looks new, but it all has, like, that nostalgia feel to it at the same time. Okay. And it's an, it's like, I don't know if you've ever been to UIndy or not. Oh, yeah. They've got they've got the halls and then they have like a nice little open field, but like they have the dorms and the halls all built around one another and like it's a huge field. It's almost like a football field almost. It's it's now it's junk. in Canton, Ohio. Yeah, I've been to Canton. How did I miss it? Because it's like in the middle of nowhere okay. in Canton. That's that's the only reason why nobody knows where it's at. Yeah, I spent four nights in Canton and boy, talk about four nights, I'll never get back. Um, anyways, uh, Canton, you know, you should go to the Hall of Fame, but I, I wouldn't, you know, go out of your way. To oh, go. you're referencing that Hall of Fame game, aren't you? Well, yeah, that was kind of the cherry on top. What was it that same week? Yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah, it was. Harrison and Dungey going in the Hall 2016, 15, something like that. Anyways, um, yeah, gave him no hope. Gave them no hope. You're up 21 nothing, and that is the game from there. Doolin, to me, he's doing what Zach Pascal usually was doing for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and a little bit of more. I mean, obviously the 62-yarder last week or whatever that was was a play that Pascal probably isn't making, definitely isn't making, I should say. But um, this staff really likes Doolin. So um, you need somebody. Pittman again. I mean, I saw the percentage. Pittman and Taylor had like, what, 70-something percent of your total offense. Like, you're going to play some defenses that actually – are competent coming mm-hmm. up here. They're going to take away. Those guys are limit them. Can your others step up for you? And I thought a little bit of Hines, um, you know, Hilton had the toe-tap grab. There was a little bit better from your skill group. Pittman obviously started the game better as well. Um, but ultimately, you gave them no hope. And this was the last sort of game. I never even thought it was a trap game. First off, the Texans suck. 
and everybody's like, well, they beat the Titans a few weeks ago. Tannehill threw four picks in awful weather, and you put the ball on the ground four times. They had four fumbles, Tennessee, in that game. Yeah. <laughs> That's not happening indoors. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the in, Tennessee in Titans, too, I mean, like that loss to the Jets and that loss to the te- Texans. You need to put a little bit of context behind it, too. No Julio Jones or right. A.J. Brown in that loss to the Jets. And then in the loss to the Texans, no Julio Jones, no A.J. Brown, uh, and no Derrick Henry. So, And on that front, too, Eddie, the Titans have created the opportunity to where they can afford to lose a game like that because they've beaten so many elite teams. Yep. The Colts aren't in that boat, so they've got to take care of their business. And obviously, it's 6-6. Six and six. you got to take care of the business as well. We'll get into a little playoff chatter as well. But, yeah, give no hope was the first thing that yeah. I wanted to mention. Yeah. Your second one was the defense. Yeah, and let's um, – and then it was the next one Kenny Moore. Or are we talking Kenny Moore here? Uh, it just says – Defense, defense and then skill guys helping out. Okay, but well, let's focus on Kenny Moore here. Um, First of all, what a story. Story speaks for itself. I'm sure everyone saw it on Hard Knocks, but just in general, you know, him becoming a cult mm-hmm. is just a crazy story, and I guess I'll go over that for those that kind of missed it. I would think most of our listeners know this, but basically Kenny Moore out of Valdosta State, he's 5'9", and, you know, 180 pounds soaking wet, goes to New England, makes an impression. Uh, what's New England thinking? All right, we've got enough corners. He's short. We think we can sneak him to the practice squad. And Chris Ballard did not want Kenny Moore. Colts are really bad in 2017. Or, excuse me, uh, when Ballard takes over in 2017, overhaul their defense. Ballard's got a prototype for corners. Look at all the corners Ballard has signed or claimed. They're all long, tall, and long. None of them look like Kenny Moore. Right. Um, and Kevin Rogers, one of their longtime scouts, very, very respected voice in that room, he was like, trust me, this kid has a long wingspan, which makes him taller than mm-hmm. you know his height on the, on, on the roster, and he's super competitive and super instinctual. And Ballard's like, all right, you know, we're so bad at corner right now, just put a claim in for him and we'll see how he does. They do that, and the rest is history. Um, like the Brady-Kenny Moore back and forth last right. week in Hard Knocks, Kenny Moore was with the Patriots for five months. Clearly left an impression on Tom Brady Mm -hmm. in those five months. I'll never forget, in 2018, the Colts played the Patriots in week five. And at that point, the NFL was still doing conference calls with the opposing head coach to that week's visiting media. So, you know, for this past week, we would have had a 10-minute conference call with David Cauley about the Texans. Um, So for that week, in week five, in 2018, we had a conference call with, with Belichick. So it's a short week. You know, it's Belichick. Like, I, at that point, I think New England, I don't think they'd had a great start to the season. So I'm like, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be Belichick like. Like, what do you even ask him? You know, something to like get a good quote. I'm like, all right, shot in the dark. Let's ask him about Kenny Moore. You know, he was with them for a handful of months. He might not even remember the dude or, you know, let alone. Like, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Um, Belichick talks about Kenny Moore. I'd say for about two to three minutes. And if you're watching a Belichick press conference, you get him to talk about two to three minutes, you've either asked him about the Naval Academy or, like, how the long snapper impacts the game. <laughs> like, those are the only answers Belichick ever gives long answers to. And he's talking about how instinctual he is, how well he anticipates, how he's the poster boy for unheralded, you know, guys to work and see what happens and earn it. Uh, talked about how he's, how impressed he was. And remember, this is Kenny Moore – Five games into his second season here, well, he had really just at that point became a starter. He hadn't really done the Kenny Moore stuff that we're used to him now doing. Um, And I just thought it was the ultimate sign of respect from the greatest coach in NFL history. Uh, So uh, that was kind of my my antennas going up like, oh, wow. I think Kenny Moore is a pretty good player, but that dude is now. Obviously, everyone's like, well, why did the Patriots keep him, whatnot? I'm not going to pretend to know the Patriots roster situation in 2018 yeah. or 2017, but whatever. his Their loss, Colts gain. I think Matt Eberflus describes him in a really good way, um, Eddie, and that is he calls him lightning in a bottle. I like that phrase. I do too. Um, he is so – he just seems like he's so far ahead of everybody else in the field. Um, he's great at the line of scrimmage and being a sound tackler, super competitive on the ball. I'd argue he's the most fundamentally sound Colts player 
Yeah. And like, I know that won't like win you a bunch of awards in terms of like, oh, that's sexy or like, wow, that's, you know, highlight real plays. But he's just incredibly fundamentally perfect, really, in, in, in the run game, the pass game. His technique is so great. I always think he's locked in, you know, how he described the first play of the game. He's like, oh, yeah, bootleg. You know, I figured this is kind of an easy throw that they want to make to the sidelines to start the game. And if you watch him kind of in his own drop, he drops big time towards the sidelines. He doesn't really, like, he's not on the hash or, like, no. even on the numbers. He goes all the way over the sidelines, and then, obviously, he makes a great, great play on the ball there. So, Kenny Moore delivered your haymakers. And if you were going to ask me at the start of the game, all right, you're going to get two big plays from a guy on this team early in the game, and you really made me think about it. You were like, hey, if you don't get this question right, you know, you're on, you're on a deserted island. You can't play golf or see your family. I should probably switch that around. You can't see your family <laughs> or play golf for the rest of your life. Um, if Maddie's made it this far into the podcast, it's a miracle. So I, I think we're okay there. Um, so I found the quote that Belichick had about Kenny Moore just now. Yeah. It, the article is still up on Colts.com. It was from 2018. Now I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's like a long quote. Right. But here's a part of it that, uh, that stuck out to me. He is a tough kid and is a good tackler that enables him to play inside and also be part of the cover two scheme that they use to jam receivers and get involved in a lot of runs and perimeter tackling plays. And that was three years ago. Now we look now and he was like spot on with that. Spot on. And again, that was more like you said, Eddie, early in his career. You know, he hadn't done what he's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, 2018, that was. Yeah, and that was Reich's first season. So it just seems like eons ago. Um, but, you know, going back to it, again, I think Kenny Moore would be the guy. Like, to me, in a game that there's 25 fans in the stands, Kenny Moore is going to be locked in. So, he set the tone for you, man. And then the defense. We talked about it earlier. Um, I thought your rush showed some moments. And Houston's O-line is horrific. I mean, it might be the worst O-line that I've seen. So, in no way in my shape am I saying this pass rush is here to stay, but Kamoko Ture late in the game, al Kadeem Muhammad with some effort stuff early in the game. I thought your corners were pretty competitive. I was driving in this morning, Eddie, and I go, did Rock Hussein play in the game? He played like half the snaps. That's a compliment to Rock. Yeah. You know, like, the ball just didn't get thrown to him. Now, Mills and Taylor were, you know, 11 for 27 and just absolutely awful, but I thought some credit to those guys. And that takeaway number. I, I laughed at the, at the start of the year when they said 40. I thought that was ridiculous. Uh, it's at 29 right now. The fact that it's even – like, if you are going to tell me at the start of the year the Colts get 30 turnovers, I would have said, where do you sign up? Right. <laughs> like, you do that in a – I mean, 30 turnovers is nearly two a game. Mm-hmm. Like, 100,000% you sign up for that. And here we are with four games to go, and, you know, there are a couple of big turnover games away from possibly getting to 40. I feel like the past couple weeks, though, even Brady, he didn't really go much towards Rock either. Yeah. He just had that one ticky-tack P.I. call that set him up at the one. But other than that, Rock has been really solid this year. Agreed. So, um, again, make the worst offense in the league look like the worst offense in the league. You did that and then said, we're going to take that to the nth degree. Like, they didn't have a wideout catch a ball until late in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. That's like IU football this year, not having a wideout <laughs> catch a touchdown until the final Big Ten game of the season. Like, again, it's the Texans, it's the Texans, it's the Texans, but you, they didn't cross your 40 yard line. Nope. So, um, job well done by everybody involved there. Well deserved game ball, it sounded like from Frank Reich to everybody defensively. Yeah, one thing I want to add that we haven't touched on either is mission was accomplished. You got the win. But I think the biggest mission that you accomplished in this game was you came out with nobody hurt. Yeah. That's the big takeaway for me from this game. Yeah, very good point. Um we're gonna bring up Ryan Kelly here in just a second. Um just the only guess absence really that you had from Sunday. Um Skill guys helping out just briefly on this one, Eddie. I, I you know, I thought Hines made a couple plays early that helped you. Again, Pittman just more locked in early. I know he had the drop for the touchdown, but still, just a little bit more locked in. Um, you know, Doolin on that touchdown. I mean, that was a nice grab. You know, it's not like that was a that was a guarantee there. So just a little bit more. Again, when you look at the box score, you won't say the skill guys helped help out big time, but like. Doyle on the third and 11. I mean, just kind of some crucial – Hilton on, on, on the toe tap. Just like some critical moments where some others stepped up. And, again, that is huge for this team moving forward. 
Who's the MVP in the run game? I, I, my vote goes to Jack Doyle, just for the way he blocks. Yeah, when he sets the edge. Agreed. And you know who I actually thought blocked decently on um on Sunday was Kylan Granson. I thought he yeah. had a few moments. His playing time starting to increase a little bit. And that could be why. Well, agreed. So I think he's kind of a name to watch here down the stretch. But yeah, I thought early, and I guess let's just get into it now, Eddie. Uh, what I didn't like. Uh, the offensive line early, I thought, did not control the line of scrimmage how you would like them to. You know, you look at this Texans D line, especially from an interior standpoint. I mean, it's not a, it's not a group that has great depth no. at all. And I just felt like you struggled a little bit at the point of attack. I thought you struggled a little bit, kind of like getting to the linebackers at the second level. And it was tough sledding, you know, early on for Taylor uh, before he kind of opened it up there into the. Uh, into the second half, where I think he was nearly six yards per, per carry. Um, you know, Kelly's absence, it's basically from what I from what I have understood is it's, it's a positive, what the Colts feel like, isolated case for Kelly. Obviously, he goes on the COVID list Saturday. It's remarkable that the Colts are the second to last team in the NFL to have a guy go on the COVID list. And then the bye week to follow. I mean, what a great break. Right. Just a great break because um, the assumption is Ryan Kelly is still unvaccinated, which means his absence will be at least 10 days, possibly 14 days. So that would 1,000% take him out of two games if you had another mm-hmm. game next week. With only one game, I I think he'd be eligible to return for that New England game. because that You would hope. That New England game is 14 days yeah. out from when he goes on the list, but... We've seen times where, again, the assumption that I have is he tested on Friday and that test showed up as positive, you know, Friday night, Saturday morning, whenever you get the results back. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he goes on the list Saturday. So I think 14 days would then be that Friday yeah, before the New England game. Now the question becomes him not practicing all week because remember that New England game's on Saturday. You don't practice that Friday. You practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that week. Would him not practicing still allow him to play? I I think so, but yes, that will be an interesting storyline to keep an eye on. Um, the conditioning for me is the part that you have to pay attention to. Sure, especially because, if he's symptomatic. Right, um, because Amari Cooper for Dallas, he mm-hmm. tested positive. He missed two games, and he wasn't even sure if he would play on Thursday night Suck against the Saints because he's like, I just don't feel the same. Like My conditioning is like horrible. Right. And like one of the first things that goes when you get COVID, because I had it, I'll I'll, I'll acknowledge it, is like your ability to breathe. Like your breathing is so different once you get COVID compared to before and after. Like it feels like you're running a marathon sometimes when you go up the stairs. I was saying, but people I've talked to, it's like an asthma-ish type feel. Yeah. Like at least what what non-people that have asthma acknowledges Mm -hmm. what it could feel like there. So that is something obviously to keep an eye on. Um, I know a lot of people have asked, like, how is Wentz not a close contact? You know, being at practice, Eddie, these past few weeks, I've seen the Colts offensive linemen, especially because, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say at least three, maybe four are unvaccinated of their starting offensive linemen. Uh, they're wearing masks at practice. Now, I don't know if they continue to wear masks throughout practice, but, like, they're definitely wearing them at the start of practice. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if that, like, eliminates a close contact if you are doing that because, you know, the previous rules were – I believe it was 15 continuous minutes within six feet. So, like, during practice, you know, it's a 20-second play, and then, I mean, hell, you're technically only under center for, like, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. five seconds or ten seconds at the line of scrimmage. And It's I, not necessarily communicating face-to-face either. Right. I mean, you can get pretty technical with it. And yeah. who knows, if they want to be crazy about protecting Wentz, Wentz could, you know, talk to the huddle from five feet away and be like, you know, this is, this is the play call or whatnot. So... I think if you get through today, Monday, get through tomorrow, Tuesday, again, the Colts feel like it's isolated. I'm assuming, you know, you're going to be, you know, we, we had a member of our family test positive on Thanksgiving, uh, and no one else in our family has tested positive mm-hmm. with that. So it's just kind of an indication of, and we all have tested numerous times since then, it's just an indication of, like, just because you are around these people, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to test positive um, with that. So, um 
we'll see what happens in the bye week. You know, vaccinated players, I believe, are allowed to leave the city. I think unvaccinated are not, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And, and the NFL in general is heightened protocols. I think when you look around the league, hell, when you look at Hard Knocks, they show the team meeting rooms. There's a lot of people. To say, yeah. A lot of people wearing masks. If not everyone. A lot of masks. You know, or excuse me, a lot of vaccinated people wearing yeah. masks. So, um, I think teams around the league have just been like, all right, numbers are rising. You know, new variant, all that. We got a month to go in the season. We can we can revert back to last year's protocols in, in masking and whatnot there. I think the vaccinated players get tested now twice a week, which is an uptick from what they were. Mm-hmm. I think unvaccinated are still tested every day. We get tested once a week for being out there. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to make sure we ran down the Kelly. And what I talk about Kelly in the O-line is, like, I did feel like there were a few times yesterday I noticed communication issues mm-hmm. leading to the O-line struggles. And, I mean, man, Danny Pinter throwing in the fire, you know, not all week. He, he doesn't practice all week. We had Jeff Saturday on the morning show. He's like, I bet Pinter barely took any reps, yeah. if any, all week. Um, so maybe some of that is uh, is on there. So um, At least the one thing that you could have if you are Danny Pinter in this situation is at least you're going into the bye week knowing, hey, I have a chance that I'm starting against – New England. Yes, possibly. I better. I need to start watching film tonight, Great yesterday. Point. Great point. Because of how complex that defensive line is. Yeah, I know the Colts have had some, you know, injury issues clearly this year. But from a COVID standpoint, they've gotten great luck. Great luck with it. And you know, I'm not going to pretend to like. Well, they, you know, they're taking more, more precautions than other teams. I have no idea what's going on, but behind the scenes. Uh, but again, this is pretty good luck. Of you brought up Amari Cooper. Um, you know, there's been a lot of prominent names around the league that have, you know, obviously tested positive here. Um, so we'll see. We'll, we'll see how this plays out. Um, but um, I did want to mention the O-line. I just, they eventually, I think, got to the Texans. But early on, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more establishing a line of scrimmage. Eric Fisher was still getting thrown around out there. Dude, yeah, it's worrisome. You know, Matthew yeah. Judon on Saturday, mm-hmm. Chandler Jones a week from Saturday. Uh, Max Crosby. Max Crosby's a great player. You know, Josh Allen in the final game of the season. I mean, that's four pretty darn potent edge rushers that you're going to see. And, and there was a moment in that first half that looked like you were going to have a Shaq Barrett play <laughs> where they, they, you know, they I forget who it was, Martin or um, Greenwald, whoever it was, Greenard, um, was going to get to him there, so... Just something to keep an eye on, and I'm sure a question will get in the old uh, old Twitter Twitter sphere. You ready for the Twitter questions? Let's do. First one comes from Bailey. Your overall thoughts on Kari Willis being back on defense? I feel like it's good to see him get off IR and get a game in before the bye week. Yeah, I would agree, Bailey. I love watching Kari Willis play football. Um, I don't think he's the most physically gifted safety, you know, in terms of like molding him into the ideal body type. But I think he plays fast. Um, there's a physicality he brings to the position. I forget who who uh, who was the defensive. It might have been Buckner last week. Buckner was saying that Brian Baker, the D line coach, who you guys have seen on Hard Knocks, a hilarious personality. He was saying, "I love that Kari's back because Kari plays like one of us. He plays like a defensive lineman. <laughs> yeah, you know he does. There's no softness, safety. I would have liked to have seen Odom back there next to him, not Sendejo. I agree. Uh, but they rolled with Sendejo earlier in the year when Blackman first went out, so that's where they're at. By the way, put a, on the bingo card Justin Blackman. They're going to say it on the broadcast every week. Yep. They're never going to say Julian. <laughs> Archuleta threw out the old Justin, so you knew that was going to be there. He did um, get it right the second time. Did he, did he come back and get yeah. it right? I, I saw Julian tweet, you know, I might as well just change my name to Justin, which I'm sure I've just said Justin before with him, but... Um, you know, quarterback of the secondary. I think that's who Kari Willis is. I think, you know, he plays at multiple levels, so you need a strong communicator across all those levels. I think back to that Steelers game last year, Eddie, when he got hurt on that punt cover in the third quarter, and you're up 21-7, 24-7, whatever it is, and then Big Ben hits the one shot over the top, Rock gets beat, or TJ Carey gets beat, I forget who. Next thing you know, that comeback is on without him in the lineup. He's an underrated player. I know it hasn't been perfect at times with him, but still, I think you'd rather have him in there than not. Kind of like Clayton Gathers. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Next question comes from Lowen Theorist and Mitch. Is it me or does Matt Pryor look better than Eric Fisher? So clearly, we, we got several of these questions. Um, I understand it. Eric Fisher will not be benched. And... 
Eddie, I think I'm at the point now where it's like you just kind of have to roll with it. And I think you got to help him a little bit more than you are because I don't have it in front of me. Has Matt Pryor ever played left tackle in the NFL? I don't know. Like, I know he played a lot of positions at Philly, but I don't think he played left tackle. I think it was mostly guard and right tackle. I, I could be wrong on that. Maybe he played a game or two at left tackle, but it's certainly not his primary spot. Um, and Fisher in the run game has still been fairly good. So, you know, when you say Pryor's look better than Fisher, again, it's not like he is playing left tackle and, you know, facing Shaq Barrett when you're saying that. Um, so... The Colts are going to stick with Fisher, and this is just, the, you know, you've you know, watching Washington and the Raiders yesterday and seeing Charles Leno out there. This is kind of, this is what the route you decided to go. You know, yep. you could have gone after a Leno. He had some history with Chris Strasser, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and obviously a healthier option, Leno in his career, but you wanted to swing a little bit more than Fisher. For a guy like Fisher, I understood it. Um, it had a little bit more of a risk, a little bit more of a Super Bowl type of move. And you've got really no left tackle and waiting on your roster there. So I cannot see them benching Fisher. I, I'd probably – I think you're in a camp where you got to help him a little bit more at this point. Yeah, I was just trying to look at the draft and see where guys were taken. But Rashawn Slater was picked way before the Colts because so, that was a guy that I really liked, and he's played so well for the Chargers. Right. Oh, he's been unbelievable. I, If I'm not mistaken um, – who was the kid? Darisaw, isn't he playing pretty good now that he's in the lineup for Minnesota? Uh, I'm not sure. I knew he got beat. Uh, he didn't play in um, the Colts matchup with him. No. Or uh, the preseason matchup with him. No, I don't know. I haven't really kept up much. I thought he had played decent, and that was the debate. Either him or Quiddy Pay, and basically they were like, Quiddy's character is 1,000 times through the roof. All right, um, I found it here. Ten starts for Matt Pryor last year at the Eagles. Six at right guard, three at right tackle, one at left tackle. So he's been there in a game, but not been there extensively at all. Yeah. All right. Next question, David. Last week's game stings, knowing the Colts could have been eight and five with a spot in the dance. But thing, but with things said before, three and one should get the Colts in. Obviously, you don't want to lose. But if you had to pick one possible loss, would you rather have the Colts lose to New England to help them with their division? Uh, with the Colts having beat Buffalo or against Arizona since they're not conference? Oh, it's got to be Arizona. I, I understand what David's saying. He basically says you want New England to win the AFC East, so you want Buffalo in the wild card. But no, it, it's, you know, the tiebreaker is, is the conference record. So, yeah, it's got to be Arizona is the one game you want to lose. Because who knows? We'll see what happens tonight. But New England could be in the wild card mix as well if Buffalo is able to go ahead and, and take care of business. And I know, you know, you've got. You've got just crazy Colts fans that, like, I bet you have some Colts fans out there, Eddie, that if they needed to cheer for the Patriots in the final week of the season for the Colts to make the playoffs, they still wouldn't cheer for the Patriots. Oh, 100%. You got, yeah, I mean, you got, and I honestly, Colleen Bowen might be one of them. She hates the Patriots so much. But you know what? <laughs> this is where we're at. It's head, not heart, folks. Get out your Patriot pom poms. Head to the foot parlor or wherever Robert Kraft's going. You know, maybe you can head there before <laughs> the game starts to, you know, get you whatever in the mood and whatnot. Um, you want the Patriots to beat the Bills tonight. Because remember, the Bills go to Tampa next week while New England hits a bye. Mm-hmm. And then they go to Foxborough. You know, tonight's in Western New York. They still go to Foxborough. So you want the Bills in that wild card mix. Brand, one of our uh, consistent listeners, Brandon, pointed this out on Twitter. Have you seen the Chiefs schedule to end the year? No. So we talked about it on last week's podcast. The Colts need to cheer for division leaders. So you want New England, you want Baltimore, you want Kansas City. Kansas City helped you out last night. They beat Denver. Kansas City's final five games, Raiders, Chargers, Steelers, Bengals, Broncos. Eddie Garrison, five teams, all with seven or six wins right now oh, in no. the wild card mix. Jimmy Cook is going to be all over us and say, hey, you guys are all Chiefs fans the rest of the way, aren't you? Jimmy, Yes. I mean, every everyone is on the Chiefs bandwagon, and I think that's a good thing because the Chiefs seem to be playing better football. But anyways, you're 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 a Chiefs fan every week. If you're a Colts fan, you're a Chiefs fan every week. Yesterday, you look at the help, yeah, probably fifty fifty. Raiders lost, helped him. We mentioned the Broncos losing. Mm-hmm. Steelers, Steelers are that weird tie team, man. How is exactly right? That that tie, that's gonna be. Whew. 
And then the Chargers beating the Bengals. That was big. You, you kind of want the Bengals to run away with it, or at least you wanted to, Yeah. yesterday. But now they're kind of back in the mix. So, David, I still think 3-1 and one will be enough. You really want one of those three wins to be New England, though. Oh, 100%. Two and two. If the wins are New England and the Raiders, which I know you're kind of getting finicky there. Yeah. You could still get in. I don't love that route. Basically, the Colts are in a more favorable tiebreaker situation than some other teams. The problem is, is you already have six losses. So it's just you can't afford to lose too many. Granted, this week is the best week because you'll watch teams. Some teams have got to lose, and you'll watch them come back to you. Yeah. Um, big game Thursday night. Steelers-Vikings. Oh, yeah. You know, start skull. Everyone lear, learn the skull chant for, <laughs> for Thursday and, and, and get ready. Uh, boy, Vikings. Do you think the cornerback for the Vikings there thought the end zone started behind him? Oh, 100%, or there was some kind of mix-up. I don't know, because it looked like there was like a miscommunication between the— Did he think the end zone was 30 yards? He was worried about defending behind him? I don't know. I think he was—I think his job was to protect the boundary, and then the safety that was there to his left was supposed to come up and, def- and defend the goal line dude. just in case somebody came from behind. I got nothing. But I, I don't it. either. And you know what? I watched that live. I'm like, are you kidding me? Thanks, Minnesota. I just lost money because of you. I was going to say, financially, there might have been something on the line there, but I was I was not happy. Uh, this is from Scotty. Do you think the way Houston crushed the Colts run, shouldn't fans back off Frank Reich for the Tampa Bay game? Uh, No, 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 no. I, well, no. Um, gosh, I thought we were done with this conversation. <laughs> but here we are again. You look at Taylor's runs yesterday, Eddie, I think half of them came against an eight-man box plus. And look at how the game unfolded. Taylor in the first half yesterday. I should probably just look it up. Uh, I'm guessing about three-ish per carry. He had 19 carries for 67 yards, 3.5 average. Right on the nose. Second half, Eddie. Let's see if you beat me to it. 5.8 5.8 per carry. 19 for 67 in the first half. So then he had 13 for whatever that is in the second half. That is kind of what the run game is like. You know, we've used the boxing analogy a whole lot. I know Frank Reich loves the boxing analogy. You wear him down. Mm-hmm. Wait, three and a half in the first half and almost, you know, two and a half more than that in the second half. That's kind of what I was getting at with the Tampa Bay game. You know, so many people want to act like in that Tampa Bay game that the first half the Colts ran it poor. They ran it poor in the first quarter. The second quarter, Taylor averaged five yards per carry. Mm-hmm. You had started to crack them. And then what did you do? You broke them open on that final drive, but you waited till the fourth quarter yeah. to try and tap back into that. So, yeah, each game is its own entity. Sure, you struggled a little bit early on in, against Houston, but you stuck with it. Uh and boom, you know, eventually Taylor broke their will and you were able to have a huge outing when it's all said and done. So, no, Scotty, I'm going to stand by. Look, Frank Reich, you guys have heard me say this before. I think Frank Reich is a very good offensive mind. I stood by that time and time again. It's more about personnel usage at times that is head-scratching to me. And that was it with Taylor. You know, I thought the Hard Knocks segment with Nelson going up to Reich and telling him, that stood out to me, Eddie, because if you caught that, Quentin specifically says in there, can we call a downhill run? Yeah. Or Jonathan, none of that RPO bullshit. Yeah. And I, and I love the RPO, but like basically what Nelson's saying, screw Carson having control of the line of scrimmage. We want an actual run call. Yeah. That 28 is going to get the football. That's where I'm at with Taylor. He's too good not to touch the football for such a limited amount of time during that stretch. If the numbers aren't favorable, you trade it up for Jonathan Taylor for a reason. Do you think at, at Wisconsin they ran a bu- ran against a bunch of six-man boxes? Oh, hell no. <laughs> we watched the Big Ten. They might as well play with five linebackers on the field and no safeties when you're playing against Wisconsin. So, um, no, Scotty. Uh, I, I guess crush was probably a little bit too harsh by some people. Uh, but again, Naeem Hines, Eric Fisher, they had their mistakes in that game. Those are bigger mistakes. But still, uh, Taylor needed to touch the ball more. This is from Bruce, and I think this came during the actual game. Okay. Yeah, sometimes we get some volatility from fans during the game. Right. 
Great game by Reich so far, but here, first and goal from the five. Taylor, no touches. Why don't we push our MVP candidate to the forefront? Not sure when that came. Okay, that was, um, I want to say that was fourth quarter. Not the Deion Jackson one, obviously, but um, who scored the last touchdown? Deion Jackson Oh, they, uh, I, I, they settled for a field goal. It was Badgley hit that 23-yarder. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they threw it three three times. Fisher had an illegal formation. Wentz got sacked. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if Bruce is referencing for voting purposes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's just like the Heisman touchdown that you're trying to get late late in the game. You know, when, For betting purposes, going. maybe. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, too. Um, you know, Bruce, I, I'm not going to fret over that. At that point in the fourth quarter, you know, I tweeted out when Taylor fumbled that I go, good. Unless you have him for gambling or fantasy purposes, get him out of the game. I agree. Like you don't, you're up twenty four nothing. Once you got up twenty one nothing, Eddie, I was good to start subbing at will. I know usually the magic number is you get to four scores, you know, four score margin. Yeah. When you start doing stuff, once it once it got to three scores, three touchdowns, I was like sub at will, open up the playbook, explore, condense the playbook, whatever you want to put on film, you feel is good. Go ahead and do it. When I was watching that game yesterday, I was like, when Sam Ellinger came in, I was like, hey, let him throw the ball a little bit. Let him, you know, let him get some experience. No, he didn't throw one, right? No. All Deion, I know. I, I was hoping that he would throw one there. I know they tried to dump one to Mo Ali Cox, I believe, in that goal to go. You know, they're trying to get Mo a little bit more involved. So, Bruce, I'm not, I'm not fretting over it. This is from Jake. Everyone keeps saying 10 and 7 will get the Colts into the playoffs. Are we sure, though? The Chargers and Bengals both have pretty reasonable schedules. Okay, will you look up those two schedules, Chargers and Bengals? Yeah. Um, right now, the standings, and again, this is heading into Monday night football. I haven't looked forward to this Monday night game in a while. Will we get Manning cast back tonight? I hope so. But see, then again, I'm like, probably for my job, I should watch the other telecast. You learn a little bit more watching the other, like, learn more about the opponents. But still, Peyton Eli. Okay. Which team do you want first? Um... Let me read the standings and then give me the Chargers first. Okay. Right now, our division leaders in the AFC, Patriots, Titans, Ravens, Chiefs. Ironically, they're all 8-4. and four. The wild card, Buffalo as the five seed. The Chargers, well, how about that matchup? Chiefs, Bills, if the playoffs started today, first round. Uh, Chargers as the sixth seed and the Bengals as the seventh. The eighth seed is Pittsburgh, 6-5-1. and one. And then the Colts there at ninth at 7-6. and six. So... Um, Let's assume the AFC East gets two in, okay? Let's say the Patriots and Bills both get in. That means out of Chargers, Bengals, Steelers, you need one of them, excuse me, two of them to miss the playoffs. Uh, all right, give me the Chargers schedule. At, at, they're 7-5 and five right now and 5-3 and three in the conference. Colts are 6-3 and three in the conference. You're not going to like this. Okay. They have the New York football Giants oh God. coming up Sunday, Another the team home game. Relegated. Then they have the Kansas City Chiefs at home on a Thursday night. Mm. Then they have a bye week. Or no, they don't. Uh, they go to Houston. They got the mini bye. Yeah, they got the mini bye. Uh, then they go to Houston and play at Houston after Christmas. So that is a bye week, right? Yeah. They're playing the Texans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah. Then they have the Denver Broncos at home. back Phillip Rivers for an anniversary game. LaDainian Tomlinson and Phillip Rivers could beat the Texans right now. Oh, 100%. So after Houston... The day after New Year's Day, they have Denver at home, and then they have to go to Vegas for the final week of the season. Okay, that is that is pretty reasonable. All right, um, give me the Bengals. Bengals. They have, also 7-5, correct? Correct. They have the San Francisco 49ers at home next week. Then they go to Denver and play the Broncos. Then they have Baltimore and Kansas City back-to-back at home. And then they have to go to Cleveland. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Um. So they won't be an underdog by much at all in any of those games. Well, they also had some pretty significant injuries over the weekend, too. Yeah. Burrow got hurt, right? Yeah. And Dislocated it, his pinky. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, the thing I think that has some saving grace about the Chargers and Bengals, Eddie, is like, I mean, they still are led by young quarterbacks. Now, young quarterbacks that were extremely accomplished in their respective collegiate careers. So we'll see, you know, does this pressure get to them at all? Mm-hmm. Um, 
guys, it's not, I mean, if you want to sweat the least, you throw four out the window. If you say it's three and one and lose to the Cardinals, that's that's sweating sweating the least. But it, I mean, it's gonna come down to week seventeen. <laughs> you know, it's gonna be like you got to beat Jacksonville in week seventeen to get in. And somehow the Jags are gonna trade for Gardner Minshew. They're gonna get him back, and Gardner Minshew's father is gonna do the coin toss. And all of a sudden, it's gonna be the Colts against Gardner Minshew in the season finale. They <laughs> got to beat Gardner. Ur- they're playing for Urban's job. They're playing to keep the Jags in the states, not go to London. Uh, yeah, I mean it's. I I still think Jake ten and seven will get you in, but it's not as much of a like one thousand percent. The Chargers beating the Bengals yesterday was huge. That yeah. was a big result. The Colts did not need. Uh, yeah, that had that had me saying <clears throat> ten and seven, no questions asked, will get you into. I th- pretty sure ten and seven. And then for S's and G's, here's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Remaining schedule. We already and, and what's their record again? Uh, six, five, and one. Yeah, at time, man. So we've already mentioned they have to go to Minnesota on Thursday night. Right. Then they have Tennessee. Now Julio Jones is eligible to come off IR that week. AJ Brown is not. Okay, that's a good point. Uh, and then they have to go to Kansas City on the twenty sixth of December. Then they have Cleveland at home, and then they have to go to Baltimore. I mean, you would think that's tough, man. The Steelers just. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, you know? Like, I swear Big Ben looks like he throws it as far as, you know, Rosie can throw it at times, and yet, sure enough. And that tie, dude, that's the weird tiebreaker with it all. They are 2-3 and three on the road. Isn't our conference record pretty bad, too? 4-4, four and four. so I guess not horrible, but worse than those other teams. I don't know how they beat Buffalo, either. Still can't. Right. Week one. All right. Uh, we're narrowing down on the final Twitter questions. This one is from Brian. If Frank thinks Wentz has elite arm talent, why does he constantly underthrow his receivers? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess he's referencing maybe more of the deep ball stuff. It was odd that, by the way, Derek Carr chucked it on that Hail Mary yesterday. It was weird that you know Carson didn't get that Hail Mary to the end zone against Tampa mm-hmm. like, to give Pittman a chance there. Um. Yeah, I. I do think he has elite arm talent, but I don't think we see it enough on the deep balls. And is that just not throwing with enough anticipation? Is that not acknowledging how, you know, much they can, um, you know, run for his pass catchers? So, um, you know, Wentz has been incredibly good on the road this year, not turning it over. I do feel like. One thing that, you know, the deep ball arm strength, again, I don't think it's much of a strength. He can do it. It's more mm-hmm. of, like, doing it. To me, the the ball placement on the underneath stuff is still something I want to see him kind of pinpoint. I think we see it in the red zone show up at times. And I think it's really important to help your guys run after catch as well. Getting that ball on the right shoulder, letting them not break stride. Um, I think that is really, really important um, for them moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree. And then this is a player that you and I talked about after the Tennessee game. Are we getting the contract value out of Naheem Hines this year? Uh, you are not. No. Uh, who asked this? Uh, this is from John. Sorry, John, no, you you are not. Um, and let me be clear about it. I mean, Hines is getting paid top 10, top 15 running back money. Mm-hmm. Some of this has been on Hines. You know, he's had some ball security questions, you know, drop in San Francisco where it could have been a big play. I also think there was a time during the year when the team wasn't using Taylor. You know, Taylor's been used a ton lately. You know, Tampa, take that 30-minute sequence to the side. Uh, I mean, the guy carried it 32 times yesterday, and he didn't touch it in the final five minutes. That's absurd. Yeah. Um, in a good way, obviously. But I thought there were moments in the year where the offense was in a bit of a rut, and Hines wasn't getting it enough. Like, you know, we talk about this, I think, in college basketball a lot, even the NBA. You've got a number one. You've got a number two. Do you have a number three? You know, who who is that third? Like, I look at the Colts skill group right now and think that. You know, you've got Taylor. You've got Pittman, clearly one and two in the skill department. Who you know, who can be there as that third guy? I think it can be Hines. So, I do, too. Um so, yeah, he has not lived up to the contract value. And, again, some on him, but but some on the team. I just think it, they haven't used him as much as I thought they would. More so 
uh, October, really. He only has four games with at least five rushing attempts. Yeah, and was yeah, and was there a stretch there where like his even his catches were really down? Didn't he have like a four or five game stretch where he had like one or two catches? Yeah, so after from week two to let's call it week uh whenever that San Francisco game was, he had one, two, three, four, five, six. Five of his six games he had two or fewer receptions. Yeah, I don't again, I don't get that. With two or three targets. Yeah, I don't I, I don't get it. The two back personnel gotta be used more. I agree more. Yeah. Uh and like he is so good after the catch, like we were just talking about with you know, receivers getting some yak. Naeem Mine certainly can get you some yak if you get him the ball in space. Yeah. Uh, last Twitter question. This is from Chris. Was Eric Fisher ever a Costanzo level left tackle? Do you think he'll regain his form after an offseason of continued rehab? That is a huge question and a huge offseason question for this football team. Um, you know, something I threw at Zach Kiefer last week when we had him on air. Um, it's tough. I don't have a great answer on that. So um, we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, part of me thinks this could be something that he regains. I mean, he did tear the Achilles in late January. I mean, we're not, we're just past the 10 month part. So I kind of want to see it. And honestly, Eddie, I just don't think you're in a position to make a significant move elsewhere this position. Now, I think if there's a tackle sitting there in day two of the draft, he might not play for you day one, but that's a that's a spot that you got to look at. So maybe it's something that you go down that road there. Um, so we'll see how it, how it all plays out, but it's something that you've got to make a very honest decision with yourself here to close out the year. I was talking to a friend about this. Um, this is kind of going forward, uh, looking at like next year. I always felt like going into this year, this was the year to get Carson right. Mm-hmm. And I think he is ahead of schedule in terms of the corrections with the mechanics, the footwork, uh, and the mental side of things because he had such a – he stepped back so far last year with Philly. And now he's almost to that level where you saw in 2017, 2018 – it's like next year, there's a real possibility you could be talking about the Colts as legit AFC champions. I think a big thing, yeah, I certainly hear you out on that. I think a big thing with Carson is to taste the postseason. Taste it. Yeah. You know, find out what that life is like. He hasn't been there, you know, really at all. That's a valid point, yeah. In games. So I think it's so critical for him to, you know, if Burrow and Herbert taste it and win a game or two, now all of a sudden, Cincinnati and LA are are on the point where they've got the same experience under center in the playoffs that Mahomes, not to the level of Mahomes, but you know what right. I'm saying. They've tasted it like Mahomes and Mayfield and Allen and Lamar Jackson all have here in recent years. Like it's crazy to think that you could go into next year and Carson Wentz could have the eighth least amount of experience of AFC quarterbacks in playoff games. And yet he's older than all of them. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just kind of weird how how that could be there. So that's why I think it's there's been a lot of good I've seen this year, and these final four games and into the postseason, this is where all of a sudden he could go from in my eyes kind of being that you know ten eleven twelve QB in the league. Can he show you a little bit more that there's more to tap into with an entire off season, an entire training camp, uh, better health around him, things like that. Yeah, final thing for me, because I know you're a very busy man, much more busier than I am. <laughs> that, that is not true, but yes. <laughs> um, man that produces every Pacer game for us. That's that's factual. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't want to talk about them at all. Um, when you look at the Colts, I just lost my chair. Oh, last night. It was yeah. last night. I was watching the Sunday night game. I don't know why I stood up for that entire, stayed up for that entire game. I don't, e- I don't either, but I don't know if you caught this. At the very end, Al Michaels and... Chris Collinsworth were talking about like the look toward the playoffs and whatnot. And Collinsworth loves the Colts. And Collinsworth just randomly mentioned the Colts. He goes, I don't think that's a team that nobody wants to play if they make it to the postseason. And played up the outdoor aspect. Right, because they have shown they have been able to play in the awful weather conditions at Buffalo and at San Francisco. They are physical on both sides of the football, and they can beat you in a variety of different ways. I'm like, oh, no. Please don't. We don't need the spotlight right now. Um, 
I think it's a good point, though. I mean, I, 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 I get it, I, I, but I think it's a very fair point. The question just becomes more of, like, can they get there? You know, like, yeah. that's what we keep on saying. Like, there's a lot of elements, and we saw it in Buffalo, about this team that makes me think they can be a really tough out in January. It just comes down to now, I think, proving it again against better quarterbacks and better defenses over the next couple weeks. You know, if you look at the schedule, Colts have not played a lot of good defenses. Buffalo, Tampa fall into that category. Yeah. But besides that, they haven't. So can this run of 30-point games, you know, how does that get impacted here coming up? And just the magnitude of big games. Yeah, I think it's a good thing that New England has these Buffalo's games sandwiched around the Indianapolis game. You know, maybe they might. Belichick probably won't. You know, have them in a mindset to where they're they're not looking at this. Talk about a potential trap game. I don't know. Yeah, you know, again, they're probably not in a position to think too trappy just with where they are at from a standing standpoint. But it is something I think to note. Even them, they they still have a flag for me. I mean, they haven't beat a team with a. They may have beaten one team. With an over 500 record so far. Yeah, I mean, I've watched just bits and pieces, more, mostly that Atlanta game. Yeah. Terrible. Um, so I'm excited to watch them tonight because I, I know they're not flashy. Like, I know we're going to walk away from tonight and be like, they're beatable. Like, yeah. you know, it's not like this is a New England of old, but still, they just they just get it done. And, you know, Belichick wants to prove everybody wrong after how last year went with Tom Brady in Tampa. Yep. All right, everybody. He's Eddie Garrison. Eddie, uh, you got a busy week with Pacers back. Uh, I guess I hope you enjoyed your two days off. So Eddie produces the Pacers radio network right here on the fan. Does an outstanding job and always enjoy when he fills in, man. So appreciate it. Thanks, man. Always a pleasure. Again, he's Eddie Garrison. I am Kevin Bowen. We are wrapping up Kevin's quarter. We'll be back next week during the bye week. We'll talk to you later, guys. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.